Welcome to Living Yin, a podcast series that seeks to enlighten you about yin yoga, Chinese medicine, philosophy, and meditation. I'm Truth Robinson, and I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine and a yin yoga and meditation teacher. This podcast series seeks to unite the yin yoga practice, the anatomical theory that surrounds it, and the Chinese medicine theory which brings it all to life. My goal is to demystify Chinese medicine and to offer anatomical concepts in a digestible way, as well as offering philosophy for you to go deeper into the layers of your own consciousness. In this episode, we're going to explore the concept of Tao, the central concept of the philosophy of Taoism, which is a bedrock of Chinese medicine and a concept that we employ a lot in yin yoga. Just letting you know, this podcast was actually released secretly a week before the public release. If you'd like to get your hands on this podcast or YouTube classes a week earlier than everybody else, all you need to do is head over to livingin.com, subscribe to the mailing list, and get an exclusive sneak preview delivered fresh into your mailbox a week before everybody else. Taoism is an ancient philosophical system, less religion, and more a way of existing within the ecosystem of the universe. It is unclear exactly when it arose. Some scholars say it could have been as much as 5,000 years ago, but for sure, it is commonly understood to have originated by at least the 4th century BCE. Initially, Taoism drew its cosmological notions from the school of yin and yang which attempted to explain the universe in terms of the basic forces of nature. Influences are also said to have come from the philosophies of the I Ching, or the Book of Changes. The I Ching describes a system of human behavior in accordance with the alternating cycles of nature. Another great influence was the foundational concept in Taoism called Wu Wei, or effortless effort, as described by Shen Buhai in the 4th century BCE. With many different influences aside, it is widely considered that the 4th century text, the Tao Te Ching, which is translated as the classic of the way and its power, or virtue, is the pivotal text of the Taoist philosophical tradition. Originally, the text was titled after its mysterious author, Lao Tzu, which simply means Old Master. Taoism benefited greatly from further contributions by the text Chuangzi, which is a poetic reimagining and elaboration of the Tao Te Ching. Although there is a consensus that the title Lao Tzu, or Old Master, was bestowed upon the author, it's quite likely that the author, or author's, identity have been lost forever. There is speculation that it may have been authored by a man called Li Er Tan, an archivist of the court of the Chao dynasty. The sage Confucius said of their meeting, I know that birds fly, fish swim, and animals run, Creatures that run can be trapped, those that swim can be caught in the net, those that fly can be shot down. But what to do with a dragon? I do not know. It rides on the clouds and the wind. Today I met Lao Tzu, and he is like a dragon. Many scholars openly question if it was written by only one source, 
and instead it is suggested that the Tao Te Ching is more of an analogy of sayings put together over many years. Taoist understanding is that Tao existed before the universe, and it was from Tao, that is, the one source, that came the origin of all being. We read this in Stephen Mitchell's translation of verse 6. Tao is called the Great Mother, empty yet inexhaustible. It gives birth to infinite worlds. He continues in verse 42. Tao gives birth to the one. One gives birth to the two. Two gives birth to the three. And the three give birth to all things. So from the Tao, or oneness, we are given the inseparable opposing forces of yin and yang. These opposing forces gave birth to the three forces of the universe heaven, earth, and man, or more simply, spirit, material, and life, which includes all things in the universe. But what is the Tao? This very same question is addressed in the first verse of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Mitchell. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. Frustration, instead of spiritual clarity, is usually experience that arises when people first come into contact with Taoism. Its enigmatic verses seek to confound the constant desire of the mind to answer unanswerable questions, which, in Taoist philosophy, is the mind's great dysfunction. Where does this dysfunction come from? Well, let's keep reading the first verse. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. Our senses are constantly interacting with the outside world, and upon sensing something, our minds instantly want to name it and make sense of it. This constant sensing creates our view of the world, but is simply a sense organ coming into contact with the outside world and so labelling it. This creates a division. We think there is this thing that we sense as external, and then there is me, that are separate from it. Our point of view becomes tainted due to the urge to label everything as individual. As Chuang Tzu says, everything can be a that and everything can be a this. That comes from this and this comes from that, which means that that and this give birth to one another. When there is no more separation between that and this, it is called being one with the Tao. Tao is the object observed by the senses, but observing Tao is not experiencing or being Tao. We may observe a flower, but observing doesn't allow us to know the bliss of being a flower. In the same way, simply objectifying our sense experience, we will never open to the bliss of being the Tao, unless we are able to be totally immersed within the moment. No analyzing the moment or trying to make sense of it. As Chuang Tzu says, there is nowhere where it is not. It is the totality of experience. You have been listening to Living Yin, podcast by Truth Robinson. One of the most famous parables in the Chuang Tzu is the story of the butterfly dream, translated by Lin Yutang. Once upon a time, I, Chuang Tzu, dreamt I was a butterfly. 
fluttering hither and thither. To all intents and purposes, a butterfly. I was conscious only of my happiness as a butterfly, unaware that I was Chuangzi. Soon I awakened, and there I was, veritably myself again. Now I do not know whether I was a man dreaming I was a butterfly, or whether I am now a butterfly dreaming I am a man. Between a man and a butterfly, there is necessarily a distinction. The transition is called the transformation of material things. This story depicts the relationship between the waking and dream states, or the blurry line between reality and what is an illusion or our perceived reality. The story challenges our ingrained perception of reality, because how do you know if the senses and mind are presenting the ultimate reality or simply an illusion? This illusion we are constantly perceiving is our own projection of the world, layered on top of ultimate reality, what we call Tao. Imagine for a moment that you were born blind. What would exist for you? You would probably develop a heightened sense of smell and touch, so some things would create your view of the world. Let's take this a step further. What if you were born with no senses at all? No colors, smells, tastes, sounds, nothing to feel, and no pain. If we took our senses out of the equation, what would be our view of the world? What would be our perceived reality? Would we feel more subjectively disconnected, and so more at one with the world, like a deep state of sense withdrawal meditation? Would we have the feeling of being immersed in the descriptionless, formless oneness of the universe, that is, becoming one with the Tao? In the story of the Chinese philosophy by In Chu and Weinberg Chai, they describe a passage from Chuangzi. Tao has reality and evidence, but no action and form. It may be transmitted, yet not possessed. It existed before heaven and earth and lasts forever. Here, Chuangzi reaffirms the descriptionless and formless nature, which is, of course, Tao. This nature is unable to be held by the tools of the mind or senses, and so is transmitted not through words or ideas, but through experience or beingness. At this point, we may be inspired to experience Tao, to go and sit outside and really examine existence. But frustratingly, this trying only increases its elusive nature. In Mitchell's translation of Tao Te Ching verse 14, it says, Look, and it can't be seen. Listen, and it can't be heard. Reach, and it can't be grasped. Approach it, and there is no beginning. Follow it, and there is no end. You can't know it, but you can be it, at ease in your own life. Just realize where you come from. This is the essence of wisdom. I love some of the lines in the previous verse. They really get to the crux of Taoism. First, we have a realization that this path has no end. To many seekers, the goal has always been to realize nirvana or enlightenment, which usually takes many hours of meditation, quitting a job, heading to the sacred mountains, renouncing all the things, and then do thousands of hours of prayers, etc., etc. But Lao Tzu says, follow it, and there is no end. 
no end. We will be doing all of this that we are doing for the rest of eternity. So what's the rush? If there is no start or end, then the path is a circle, endless through the millennia. So relax. Celebrate where you are right now in your life, as there is no point on the circle that is anywhere further ahead than anywhere else. The next line that really speaks to me is, just realize where you come from, as if it's an experience of coming back home to our essence, to the place of our origin, the never-ending nowness. Nothing to add, and nothing to take away. Within Taoism, the first principle of the universe is known as the Wuji, or oneness. This is the original state of beingness, experiencing everything in nature as part of the same whole. One step after another, we realize that the path is walked not because it has a goal, but because we return back to our realization of oneness, which, in a way, I guess, is enlightenment. But we don't have to do anything to get there, recite anything, ingest anything, or put our bodies in any kind of funny position. It is right here and right now, in this perfect moment we are immersed in right now, at all times, in all of our lives. You have been listening to Living Yin, podcast by Truth Robinson. Okay. I understand this is not making it more practical. All you have to do is sit in the state of universal oneness and then you get to experience all the Tao you want. Not really a tangible process to embark upon. I get it. So verse 3 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Raymond Paul in the book Interpretations, Poetic Visions of the Tao Te Ching offers us a method. The sage governs by emptying minds and hearts by weakening ambitions and strengthening bones. Practice not doing. When action is pure and selfless, everything settles into its own perfect place. The last verse discusses letting go, not of achieving, but on the projectionless and preconceived ideas of how the future should turn out. This is not a defeatist state. Rather, as it says, strengthens our resolves to act without the need for personal gain, since there is not an individual to benefit, only this oneness principle giving or offering to the oneness principle. The last few lines of verse 10 extrapolates on this idea when it says, Can you deal with the most vital matters by letting events take their course? Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things? Now is the right moment to introduce the nebulous term Wu Wei, which constitutes the primary unifying concept in Taoism. Wu means nothing, or not, or negative, and Wei means effort. It's commonly translated as effortless effort, but as Alan Watts describes it, it's more of a not forcing. The author John Makem attests that Wu Wei is likened to the malleable nature of water, It does not force, but it will yield and adapt with the flow of Tao. Taoism suggests that the universe works harmoniously in its own way. When the individual tries to exert their will against the rhythms and cycles of change in the universe, then they disturb that harmony, 
resulting in undesirable consequences rather than the will of Tao. The solution then is to surrender our will and instead harmonize with the will of the natural universe. Surrendering your will, although a beautiful concept, can again be quite intangible for the vast majority of us, myself included. Every day we wake up and we need to have a will to get things done, right? It's not that you become this floppy human and wait for the world to push you where it wants you. Rather, it's an experience of being an integral part of nature, not an entity to dominate or change it. Alan Watts describes it as doing things in accordance with the grain. It's not that you don't cut wood, but you do so along the grain, or in accordance with the pattern of things as they exist. Let's elaborate on this idea of being an integral part of nature. Alan Watts uses the example of bulldozing a slum and erecting a perfect high-rise in its place, and then putting all the slum inhabitants into this new high-rise. The slum has, or had, an organic nature with so many different cogs and relationships that at the same time feed off each other and support each other. They're just like all the animals in nature. There is conflict, but also a supportive harmony amongst them. Within the slum, there are unique livelihoods, activities, and routines that only exist due to the current ecosystem of living in the slum. Simply uprooting them and placing them in a high-rise apartment would render so many jobs and previous routines totally useless and so exact chaos upon a system that had previously found so much order within the mutual relationships of this unique ecosystem. This is another fundamental Taoist tenet along with Wu Wei and is called mutually arising. Everything in nature is mutually arising, like the flower and the bee. You will very rarely have a flower without a bee or a bee without a flower. They always exist together and are inseparable. They work together to achieve the same goal, although it may appear they have separate goals. They are one unit playing many important roles within an ecosystem that depends on them and are not separate from them. All parts of the ecosystem mutually arise together. This concept wants to be reduced to cause and effect, but it's more than that. There is no one controlling or more important aspect in nature, like the chicken and the egg. We could say the chicken had the egg to have more chickens, but we could say the egg created the chicken to have more eggs. Neither is true, as they exist in the state of Tao which is mutually arising and interdependent. Quite often we hear about getting punished for our actions, like there is one action that is determined an outcome for us. But if all of our actions mutually arise with all our other actions, then we are the sum total of all of our actions and all the actions of those that surround us as well, like an ecosystem. Did the bee decide that pollinating flowers was its fate, or did it just live out its natural nature going about collecting food? Was the flower's role in having the tasty pollen, or the bee deciding that it wanted to eat that pollen, the cause or the effect? Even further than that, could we perceive those actions as good or bad, creating bad karma or a sin? I want to read a Chinese parable which may help to further elucidate this idea of mutually arising action. A farmer and his son had a beloved stallion 
who helped the family earn a living. One day the horse ran away, and their neighbors exclaimed, Your horse ran away? What terrible luck! The farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few days later, the horse returned home, leading a few wild mares back to the farm as well. The neighbors shouted out, Your horse has returned and brought several horses back home. What great luck! The farmer replied, Hmm, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. Later that week, the father's son was trying to break in one of those mares, and she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The villagers cried, Your son broke his leg. What terrible, terrible luck! The farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few weeks later, Soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all the able-bodied boys for the army. They did not take the farmer's son, still recovering from his injury. The neighbors shouted, Your boy is spared. What tremendous luck! To which the farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. This parable is quite often interpreted as an interplay between good and bad, which are also mutually arising. But there is another story here too. The farmer doesn't immerse himself in the cause or effect that is unfolding. To him, both are one. Something happens and is both a cause and an effect at the same time. He simply observes the way the grain of wood is flowing and chose to cut along it as it is the path of least resistance. He doesn't not do, and he even does do with will and purpose but he does not see the resulting will of the universe as separate from his own. Instead, sees all that occurs as the ever-unfolding Tao. The path of Taoism, then, is not about renouncing the world, and as Mitchell's translation of verse 13 says, See the world as yourself. Love the world as yourself. Living in this way will slowly bring us back into line with Tao with the nature of the universe and we will begin to let go of the desire to force and control. As Alan Watts said, the ruler should abdicate and trust all the people to conduct their own affairs, to let it all happen. The more liberty you give, the more love you give, the more you allow things in yourself and in your surrounds to take place, the more order you will have in your life. Stay tuned for the next episode of Living Yin as we delve into the concepts of yin and yang. Just another heads up, this podcast was actually released secretly a week before the public release. If you'd like to get your hands on this podcast or YouTube classes a week earlier than everybody else, all you need to do is head over to livingyin.com, subscribe to the mailing list, get an exclusive sneak preview delivered fresh into your mailbox a week before everybody else. Thanks for joining me. I'm Truth Robinson. You can follow me on Instagram at Truth Robinson, or if you'd like to train with me, go to livingyin.com. One last thing. By submitting a review on iTunes, you're giving the gift of this podcast to so many other people. 
And even though I love seeing all the beautiful reviews, and I really do, it's way more exciting to know that your review is now stimulating so many yin yoga journeys all around the world. That has to be the easiest gift you have ever given.